The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Mulch. And I'm your host, Ron Schmilzer. And well, you know, there's so much happening in the world of AI. And we know that a lot of you, our listeners here at AI Today, are really interested in hearing what we have to say about all these things. It's kind of funny because uh, so much has been happening. And especially around the area of trustworthy AI, we actually had a whole series on trustworthy AI. So if you haven't listened to it, I encourage you to listen to our trustworthy AI series. And we have so many other series around the failure series, the generative AI series. And we actually just recently wrapped up our our glossary series, which was going on for quite some time. So uh, I think what you'll find from us here as, as we sort of go into the new year and start doing more around uh, AI, we're going to look more at some of the things that are impacting you who are trying to put AI into practice, the solution providers and the consultants and those of you implementing AI for your organization, because some of the stuff we're going to talk about may be highly relevant to you no matter where you are in the world. Exactly. And if you haven't listened to our Trustworthy AI podcast series, I'll link to that in the show notes, and I encourage you to check that out. And also subscribe to AI Today so you can get notified of all of our upcoming episodes. For today's podcast, we wanted to go over the overview of the European Union AI Act. You may have heard about it in recent months. Uh, it is making a lot of headlines. And so we wanted to spend some time on today's podcast really digging into the topic and uh, also giving our take on it. So yeah, so what we're going to cover on uh, this podcast is we're going to give you an idea, well, what is the EU AI Act? We'll explain the ideas that are behind the EU AI Act, some of the goals, what, what the uh, European Union is trying to accomplish with uh, their regulations on AI and how they categorize risk, and maybe a little bit of a timeline to say, well, how... How have we gotten here? <laughs> a little bit of the history, which is important because things are moving very fast in the world of AI. And we'll talk about the different categories of risk that are identified in the regulations because different levels of regulations apply to different levels of AI system risk from the unaccept the kinds of risks that are not acceptable, high risk systems, the general purpose and generative AI systems that are very hot right now, and the AI systems that are of limited risk. And then we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about what the, the the supporters of the EOI Act say about it and what the critics say. And of course, the most important thing is what we have to say <laughs> about the EU AI Act and what this means for you. Exactly. So at a high level, what is the EU AI Act? It's the use of artificial intelligence in the EU. It's going to now be regulated. That is the goal and the hope with the EU AI Act. So it really is the world's first comprehensive AI law, and it's the first major regulatory framework for AI at a continental level and also the world's first rules on AI. If you're familiar with GDPR, the General Data Protection, uh, Privacy Protection Act uh, that is in EU law, it really is a de facto worldwide law, especially for multinational organizations who do business with EU and that is really what this EU AI Act is most likely going to be as well. So just because you might not be a multinational organization yet, or if you are, you should be paying attention to this, even if you're not based in Europe. 
So the EU AI Act provides a comprehensive set of rules for trustworthy AI, which many people have been talking about. And now the EU wants to provide a comprehensive set of rules around this and also establish obligations for AI based on its potential risks and level of impact. At the AI Today podcast and Cognolytica, we talk a lot about you know, not all AI is the same. And so that's what this law is also saying that, hey, you know, maybe a recommendation system is a lot different than a facial recognition system. Now they're going to be categorized differently based on their level of risk and their level of potential impact as well. So this is also going to now, which is major, establish a widely accepted definition of artificial intelligence. If you know from listening to our podcasts and, and, uh, you know, being in our ecosystem, there is no commonly accepted definition of artificial intelligence, despite the term being coined in 1956. So this really is major. Yeah. And I think one of the interesting things about that definition is that it's going to be obviously used in the context of regulation of AI, because it's hard to regulate something that you don't exactly know what it is. Whether or not this definition is uh, you know, uh, used more broadly than the EU AI Act is something we'll keep an eye on, because that may be one of the side effects of the EU AI Act outside of regulation is, hey, maybe people will start adopting some definition. Now, there's a couple of goals here. Like, what is the EU AI Act trying to accomplish? And we talked a lot about the different levels of risk, not treating all AI systems the same, because from a regulatory perspective, they're not all doing the same thing. So the first primary goal of the EU AI Act is making sure that the AI systems that are used in the EU, so you have to remember that this is still a continental and a regional regulation. So they're talking about the AI systems that are used within the bounds of the EU. Of course, we all know that systems are used everywhere. If they're used in Europe, in Union, they're probably used everywhere else. But they want to make sure that these are safe and transparent, that they're traceable, that they're non-discriminatory, and that they're environmentally friendly. That's sort of the overall arching goals as to why this regulation is being put into place. And the second thing is that they want to make sure that these AI systems have human oversight, that they're not being automated to the point where we have no control over them and they're doing things that cause harms to the various uh, people and the organizations in the EU. And as Kathleen mentioned, uh, the other goal for the EOA Act was to establish a technology-neutral uniform definition of AI that can be applied not only to today's AI systems, but of course to future ones as well. And we are really enthusiastic about this definition, not only because there's one, but it's because it's actually based on our own definition. I'm not saying that just as that they were inspired and it's coincidentally. No, they actually list Cognolytica's seven patterns of AI as the the core part of their definition, actually in their expanded definition. If you look at the EU AI Act, it just has a couple of sentences, but uh, and the sentences that they have are a machine-based system that can, for a given set of human-defined objectives, make predictions, recommendations, or decisions influencing real or virtual environments. And that definition comes from the OECD, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, Uh, of which Kathleen is one of the OECD One AI um, Network members. So maybe there's no coincidence (laughs) that they're using Cognolytica 7 Penance. We're very enthusiastic about that. So we could talk a little more about that and and some of these uh, levels of risk as well. 
Yeah, sure. And also we'll link to that in the show notes as well. So you can take a deeper look at the OECD's definition of AI. Back in February of 2020, Cognolytica was asked to present on our seven patterns. And so I went to Paris right before the world shut down and presented on the seven patterns. So it is no coincidence that their definition is based on our seven patterns of AI. And we feel very honored that that is hopefully helping to set the standard for the definition of AI. Another goal of the EU AI Act is to establish obligations for providers and users depending on that level of risk from AI. So like we said, there's some, you know, not all not all levels of risk are the same for each application. And when we talk about the seven patterns of AI, you can see that as well, you know, predictive analytics might be considered less risk depending on its use case than facial recognition for example or the autonomous pattern of AI, which is the goal of that is to remove the human fully from the loop. So the EU AI Act has uh, provided these levels of risk. And so one is an unacceptable risk. Second one is high risk. They also have general purpose and generative AI and limited risk as well. Yeah. Now, if you're looking for the actual EU AI Act, you just want to find it. It does have an official name, as all regulations do, and they never are as simple as the EU AI Act. So the official name of the act, if you're actually looking for all the text, is the proposal for a regulation of the European Parliament and of the Council laying down harmonized rules on artificial intelligence, in parentheses, the Artificial Intelligence Act, and amending certain union legislative acts. So that's the official name, and we do uh, link to that. We'll link to the official uh, publication in our show notes as well, so you get some more details. So um, when did this uh, UAI Act happen, <laughs> and how is it happening, and how, how did it come to be? So in April of 2021, uh, the European Commission proposed the first EU regulatory framework for AI. So there's a framework for regulating AI. And a little over a year later, in December of 2022, the Council of the EU adopted a c common position. Uh, on the EU Act. And this is a big step because it was a, you have to remember that the European Union is a union of multiple states. They all have different perspectives uh, on things like AI. And this was a unified stance. So they all kind of agreed on, uh, the member states agreed on their position. Uh, about six months later, in June of 2023, the European Parliament adopted a series of amendments, some modifications to that proposed common position on the AI Act. And this is important because this was just prior to actually setting up the actual rules, the legislation. This is what they called the Trilogue nego Negotiations. And this trilogue group agreed on, they negotiated and they came to an agreement. Actually, not too long ago, December 8th of 2023, a provisional agreement was reached during the final round of discussions. There was actually a period of time when it was not entirely clear if they would agree. <laughs> and there were some comments that maybe the EU AI Act would not happen, but they actually did come to an agreement. And uh, as mentioned, like in December of, of 2023, and they came with a deal. And so the plan now is, okay, now they have an agreement. That's what we are talking about here, what this agreement is. And the plan is by the early spring of 2024, maybe by the time you're listening to this, that this plan will actually be enacted. People will vote on it. That's how it happens, right? We have legislation and people vote on it. And the idea is to be enacted by the early spring of 2024. So if nothing changes, everything that we're going to talk about in this podcast will come to pass. But of course, uh, things could change. Yeah. <laughs> If you've ever followed legislation, I'm sure it will. So this is, you know, ambitious. They're really optimistic for it. But if things continue to happen, there may be a follow-up podcast. Uh, but again, you know, we we are keeping an eye on this because this is uh, pretty monumental. So now we want to go into the an overview of, you know, what the different levels are. So 
For unacceptable risk, these are AI systems that are considered a threat to people and they will be banned in the EU. So examples of what unacceptable risk are is cognitive behavioral manipulation of people or specific vulnerable groups. So for example, voice-activated toys that may encourage dangerous behavior in children is something that's going to be unacceptable. Also, emotional recognition. And this is in the workplace and educational institutions as well. They made a point to, to specifically call out both. Also, social scoring. So they don't want to be classifying people based on behavior, socioeconomic status, or personal characteristics. And then real-time and remote biometric identification systems, such as facial recognition. It will be limited uh, exemptions with law enforcement for the use of biometric identification systems in public spaces or for law enforcement purposes. So we'll continue to monitor to kind of see how that evolves. Um, so it's not going to be a full a full ban, but limited um, and, you know, banned for the majority of people. Also, untargeted scraping of facial images from the internet or camera footage. This has been, you know, making the news where uh, companies are getting in trouble because they've been scraping facial images. So uh, no surprise that they put something in to stop that. So they don't want this to be used. You can't scrape uh, facial images from the Internet or camera footage to create facial recognition databases. Also, biometric categorization systems that use sensitive characteristics such as political, religious, philosophical beliefs, sexual orientation, or race. Those would be, you know, different sensitive characteristics. And AI systems that manipulate human behavior to circumvent their free will is also going to be unacceptable. And AI used to exploit the vulnerabilities of people due to things like their age, if they have a disability, or their social or economic situation. Yeah. And we'll get into a little bit about the uh, facial recognition stuff because it's definitely a hot button. Of all these unacceptable risks, this is the one area that there is actually not broad agreement. I think people would agree that manipulation is not good and and other things like that. But some of these topics are are uh, perhaps not necessarily things we might agree with, say, in the United States, uh, especially around real-time uh, biometric identification. So the next category are what's called high risk. So if the unacceptable risks are going to be outright banned in the in the EU, the high risk systems will be just highly regulated. <laughs> so we go again to like things that shouldn't be allowed, but now things that might be allowed but highly regulated, and and these are the ones that can negatively affect safety or your fundamental rights. So there's two general categories for high risk systems. Any AI system that's used in a product that's already regulated under the EU product safety legislation, such as toys, aviation like planes, cars, medical devices, elevators, things like that. If you're using AI in any of those systems, they will automatically be considered high risk because they're, they're already going to be regulated as part of product safety legislation, which is interesting. Uh, the second category for those that are not included in those products are any AI system that falls into eight specific areas, and those AI systems will need to be registered in EU in some sort of database, the, the actual application. So this would be biometric identification and categorization of natural persons, so of using any sort of system to identify people, uh, management and operation of critical infrastructure. So if you use AI in any sort of infrastructural application, it needs to be in a database, any sort of AI used for education and vocational training. It's impactful even for us uh, to think about that. Uh, the, the fourth thing is any sort of use of AI for employment, worker management, and access to self-employment. 
any applications of AI with access to and enjoyments of essential private services or public services and benefits. If you're using AI for that, that's considered high risk. Any AI application for law enforcement, any AI application for migration, asylum, border control, and any AI application that provides assistance in legal interpretation and application of law. So these are all considered high risk. And in the EU, they will be regulated, which is, uh, I think, would be news to a lot of people. So all high-risk AI systems will be assessed before they're put onto market. So they need an a assessment before market and throughout their life cycle. And another important, important thing to note here is that this high-risk of AI, high-risk AI category includes anything in the insurance and banking sectors, as well as AI systems used to influence the outcome of elections and voter behavior. So this actually is a pretty pretty wide encompassing area. You might not necessarily have thought of your AI as high risk, but in may be uh, captured in this definition of high risk by the EU. Exactly. And that's why it is important, even if you're not doing business in the EU yet, if you'd like to expand, you have partners that are, it's really important to be paying attention to what's going on. So another category that we have is this general purpose AI. They call it GPAI and also generative AI. So if you've been, you know, following the news for at least the past year, you know that generative AI has really taken the world by storm. So uh, they thought it was important enough to have this category. And so general purpose AI and generative AI systems with broad use will have to comply with transparency and other requirements as well. On the AI Today podcast, we talk a lot about AI transparency. Uh, you know, it really is becoming a hot topic for many. So it makes sense that it's going to be in this law. Um, and so what this means is that you're going to have to disclose that the content was generated by AI. You'll also have to design the model to prevent it from generating illegal content. And so, again, make sure that you're really understanding, you know, what is illegal, especially in areas that maybe you want to expand to. And publishing summaries of copyrighted data used for training. So they're going to now require that. And it's also going to have measures to protect copyright holders from generative AI. Again, this has been a hot topic of discussion with, uh, you know, in 2023. So they want to make sure that they're addressing that. And also it's going to require general purpose AI systems to be more transparent about their energy use as well. So, you, you know, people may or may not know just because, you know, it's done on the internet or it's done on your computer. It doesn't mean that it had, it doesn't have a negative impact on the environment. And so this is going, we're going to have to start to be more transparent to show how much energy you actually are consuming. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to basically see when someone releases a new generative AI model, they all talk about how many billions of parameters and how broad it can do it. And, but now they have to say, and we also used like 2.3 gigawatts of energy. <laughs> and what does that mean? What is 2.3 gigawatts really, right? 1.2 gigawatts. <laughs> Funny. It's, but like, that's that's the requirements. It's going to be like, wow, that's going to be really interesting. And of course, well, we'll get into the what this means for you because you might say, well, I'm not, you know, building a, a generative AI model perhaps, but we'll say, well, maybe you are. Some things are, are pulled into this definition you may not expect. So, of course, the lowest level of risk that's uh, associated with its regulation are what's called limited risk AI systems. And in general, if they're not you know, high risk, if they're not generative AI in general purpose, or of course, uh, unacceptable risk, they just in general should comply with minimal transparency requirements that would allow users to make informed decisions. So that means that even your AI system that may just I don't know, do a little predictive analytics thing. 
it is included in this regulation. There's no AI system that's not included. It's just in the limited risk category. And so you might think, well, I'm off the hook, but that's actually not necessarily true. All AI systems have to comply with the AI Act. And that means in the limited risk category, it says that if you interact with a limited risk AI application, the user has to should be able to decide whether or not they want to continue using it. This goes to disclosure and consent. Uh, the, the next point is this idea that users should be made aware of when they're interacting with AI. That's the disclosure part. So consent and disclosure makes you kind of wonder because we have a trust of the AI framework talks a lot about these things. These ideas are very synergistic with that. And then finally, uh, any uh, what they categorize as limited risk AI systems include those that do any sort of image manipulation or audio or video content. For example, of course, deepfakes being the, the unacceptable kind. But if you're using image editing tools, if you're using audio editing tools, video editing tools, they involve that involve AI in any way, they are now rolled in to this regulation and they'll be regulated. Whereas before, if you were using an image tool that did not have AI, there was no regulation for it. So it's kind of interesting uh, how things change. Exactly. And I think that this is also going to really open up people's eyes with how much AI is in different applications that they're using. Because, you know, we talk about it a lot and we've been, uh, you know, covering AI for many years now. And a lot of people might not necessarily understand or had cared in the past that AI was being used. So for recommendation systems, for navigation systems as well. You know, there's so many things that that um, use AI. And I think now it's really going to come to the forefront and people will start seeing it more and being like, wow, I didn't realize that, you know, AI was being used in my email to help me write, you know, with my grammar or whatever it is. So, of course, there's going to be fines and penalties if you do not comply with the EU AI Act intentionally or unintentionally. And so that's why we say it's important to be following this. So companies are going to have anywhere between 6 to 24 months to comply with the new law. And that's a you know wide range. That's anywhere from six year, six months to two years. Um, but that's because it's, you know, you need different periods depending on what the AI applications are. So if you are violating this and you're caught, there's going to be fines ranging from 35 million euro or 7% of global turnover to 7.5 million euro or 1.5% of turnover. Exemptions are in this are going to include things like national security, military and defense, R&D, and open source partially. So now, you know, I had said, okay, well, you have six to 24 months to comply with this law. What exactly does that mean? And how does that break down? Well, those prohibited AI systems are going to have a six-month period to comply. And then the high-risk AI models are going to have a 12-month period for compliance with the transparency and the governance requirements, and then a two-year grace period for everything else. So they said, you know, things that are the most impactful are going to need to be implemented the soonest, and then we'll move down from there. But everybody, you know, at most only has that 24 months to comply with this new law. So if you're doing some unacceptable uh, risk AI system now, and this this is passes in early 2024, you are not going to have very long to comply basically to the end of that year. And then otherwise, you're not going to be able to even uh, operate in the EU. So things to think about. 
So uh, what are those who's, who are in, in favor of, you know, the supporters of the EOI Act? What, what's the general consensus, if you will, about why this is a good idea? Well, on the one hand, it protects fundamental rights. A lot of things that we're talking about, I think many of us are uncomfortable with AI being used in some of these ways. We don't like deep fakes. We don't like manipulation. We don't necessarily like being targeted. These are These are things that people have responded to. We don't like violations of our privacy. We don't like being manipulated. So yeah, I mean, the EU AI Act focuses on that. That's like the whole idea of focusing on citizens' rights and AI ethics. Uh, the next thing is we talk a lot about transparency and safety, about disclosures and consent, about letting us know about all sorts of stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, the EU AI Act really does provide a pretty tangible step forward uh, for both safety and transparency. Uh, the, the next little bit here has to do with trust, because people are having a harder time trusting AI technologies. And if they know that there's regulatory stuff behind it, people have to have things reviewed, that there's penalties, all this sort of stuff, then it does create some trust. Uh, the, la the next little bit here is that it does also help to facilitate innovation and in that if there is some sort of clear understanding, that there's clear regulations, then people can feel comfortable and confident building new things and putting them in the mar in the market because there's a legal framework that will say that maybe somebody won't sue them nine months later for something that there's no law about that that happens. And then people now have to come up with laws as we go. That's usually how laws happen a lot of times, not because someone has thought about it in advance, because something bad has happened. And so the industry just sort of responds to it. And sometimes they over respond to it. So so having something in, in place in advance is helpful. I think finally, the last little bit is the EU is ahead of the game. <laughs> it is the first, you know, national level plus level uh, regulation, general regulation on AI. And so this really helps demonstrate a little bit of EU's leadership here. It sets a global standard maybe for what other countries will do, what other regions will do. It is an influence. It's going to influence international practices. It's going to create laws that other regions will follow. So by stepping ahead, they are going to uh, influence uh, where this all heads. Exactly. But, you know, there are always supporters of, of these laws and critics of it as well. So critics are saying that this is overregulation and that the act may stifle innovation by imposing, you know, really stringent controls on AI development in just one region of the world, leaving other parts of the world like the US or China to become AI leaders. Because, you know, if if you're not doing business in the EU, then you do not need to comply with this. There's also vague definitions that critics are saying that, you know, there's broad definitions of AI and risk categories, and this can potentially lead to legal uncertainties. Where exactly are you going to be categorized? Are there ways to go from being high risk to lower risk? And also, there's going to be increased compliance cost, especially for smaller organizations. You know, small and medium enterprises may struggle with the financial burden of compliance. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about maybe multinational organizations having to deal with this. But what if you're a small a small business in, a, you know, one of the countries in the EU and you need to start complying with this? How is that going to impact your business, your bottom line, your profitability? Are you going to be able to stay competitive? And we also may see diminished global competitiveness. So the act could put the EU at a disadvantage in the global AI landscape because others don't need to be complying with some of this. And also the implementation challenges. So, you know, we talked about how there's this grace period from six to 24 months, but the practical implementation and implementation of this could 
could be really challenging. And, uh, you know, this law is going to be, I'm sure, very complex. And so these organizations of all sizes are going to need to deal with this. And that could really pose challenges for some or many. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. That's right. And I think, you know, the other big thing is that the UAI Act, despite it sounding like it's here already, is actually not final. So that's why we sort of put a lot of caveats here that stuff may change, right? That the drafters of the EOI Act still need to work out some of the technical details. And they also need to create what's called a viable legal draft because people need to vote on it. And the EU Council and the EU and the, and the European Parliament needs to vote on it before the EU elections because there are elections for the EU. And well, these are elected officials. and Stuff happens when they try to run, you know, for office. People change positions. And so the result of the EOI Act might be really complicated legal text. And that might present challenges in just trying to understand it, trying to imply it, try to enforce it, all the things that happen with a law. And that means that the details are subject to possibly significant changes uh, other than the ones we have talked about here. And the legal review process, legal process that needs to be reviewed and modified, and that could take weeks, that could take months. That could stall the whole thing. So, so even though we've talking about this thing as if it's uh, the EU AI Act, as if it's a done deal, uh, you should realize that this is kind of where the current thinking is, and this may come to fruition if every if all the green lights are go. But of course, things are subject to change. Exactly. So we also, you know, with with our podcast, whenever we do analysis, we always like to have the Cognolytica take. And what does this really mean for you? So. This is going to be providing AI safeguards, and it provides safeguards on general purpose artificial intelligence, what they're also calling GPAI, and it gives consumers the right to launch complaints and receive meaningful explanations. So we've talked about this in the past, especially with our trustworthy AI series, where people want explainability and they want to understand, especially when it impacts them negatively, why something happened. So if I'm denied a loan, for example, I don't want to just be told, well, the AI system told me that you couldn't get a loan. So that's why you can't get a loan. People want explanation. And when they talk to humans, they get that explanation, whether or not they like it. The human can at least kind of explain the steps and explain what happened to them. So this this is now going to give consumers that right to actually get those meaningful explanations. Sometimes this is a lot easier said than done. Um, so I'd like to see how it's getting implemented, but it is going to be uh, in the law. It also bans and limits on AI in the EU. So it's going to limit the use of biometric identification systems by law enforcement, including a general ban on the use of facial recognition at non-government entities. So this is really important because we don't have that kind of, you know, general ban right now. I know there are some some grumblings and people wanting to use it, especially France for the upcoming Olympics. Um, and so, you know, people are saying, well, hold on, but that's what this is doing. It's also banning the use of AI on social scoring. So that's interesting. And we, you know, really want to know how does this apply to hyper-personalization, which is treating each individual as an individual. That can be used for good, right? Because, you know, I'm able to really target individuals now specifically, not just for advertisers, which is their dream, but also things like you know, credit scores, and I can treat each, individual as, treat each individual as an individual or with education. How do I go about doing that? Because everybody learns maybe a little bit differently, and maybe I need a little bit more help while someone else wants to move forward. And so we can do that now. How How is that going to apply? And also, it bans the use of AI for manipulation or extortion, 
which sounds great. Obviously, nobody wants that. But how exactly is that going to be determined and then enforced? Yeah, and I think you need to, the reason why we say this is think about you is because you might say, well, this doesn't apply to me. But first of all, if you're doing any sort of as on the facial recognition point, it is an outright the current way it reads is that it's an outright ban on it. You can't use it uh, for anything. Uh, there are some limit as as Kathleen mentioned. There are some exemptions, and they they use these words like for real time, which means that uh, if you're using it to identify someone walking down the street, and remote, which means doesn't apply to unlocking your phone. So if you're using facial recognition to unlock your iPhone, that's not considered to be remote because it's local, it's on your device, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the thing is, like, these are pretty vague because it doesn't. We don't know what real time means. We don't know what remote means. So if you're doing stuff with the facial recognition, just be should be aware of that. And there's lots of these unanswered questions that we don't really know, which is how are going to countries outside of the EU going to adopt or adapt to the AI Act? Maybe some countries will be like, whatever the EU does, we do. In which case, this is going to be more than just an EU AI Act. Maybe some countries will be like. We are opposed to it. We'll come up with something that's, and then there'll be conflicting rules. It'd be like, well, this is allowed here, but that's not allowed there. That could be a, a real issue, right? The another unresolved question is, is that how is it going to be enforced? Now there, there are. We talked about these penalties, which are really go against companies and their uh, revenues. But what if it's like a bad actor who's not making money? I guess you can have a hundred percent of my zero revenue. I guess. I mean, it's just so weird. You know, like it, it's not entirely clear how the enforcement's going to work, and it also has to be enforced at the state level. That's how they usually are applied. Also, what are businesses going to do? Sometimes, like in the case of GDPR, I think people realize, look, we could have a different set of privacy policies for customers in the EU or data store in the EU. We can have a different set of policies for customers everywhere else. But that doesn't really work. It's it's too complicated. And that's why we always say that GDPR is in a de facto worldwide law because companies decided, look, I'm not going to store my data and have different compliance. I'll just do it. If it's if I got to do it for EU, I'll do it everywhere. And that's what ends up happening. So will they do that here? Well, all of a sudden you start seeing things that are in your products that you love start to disappear because they have to comply with the EU and it's easier just to make the function go away or to cripple it. That happens a lot. We complain about that a lot, that products just get worse and worse and worse over time. And this is one of those, this could be one of those reasons, right? Or maybe they'll change a practice. Now it used to be really easy. Now it's really complicated. It used to, so, you know, these are things that will happen, right? And then, the, and the, you know, less little bit here is like there's a part called the fundamental rights assessment, but nobody really knows how that actually is going to work. You know, how are people going to know if their rights are being violated? It's, it's such a tricky thing. Is someone going to complain about the AI system that you built for, let's say, you know, helping people diagnose some skin condition and say that you were violating their rights because of some issue in the way you're doing image capture? Who knows, right? And I think you know these are these are issues, right? And I think the last the, the other un, unresolved bit is that all of this applies to AI products that are being sold and used, but nobody has said how the AI Act is applied when you're doing training. Does it do none of these things apply? Are you still allowed to train an acceptable risk system as long as you don't use it? Uh, can you train a system <laughs> in one country? where the unacceptable risk is accessible, but use the model in a different way? Oh man, these are tough problems, right? I think the last little bit, I think this is the thing that really tripped up a lot of people is that there that this whole category of general purpose and generative AI 
they, they put in this category called high impact. And the reason is because so many other systems are built on top of them. There's called the so-called foundation models that, you know, you're like, well, I'm not, I'm not open AI or I'm not Microsoft or Google or whoever it is, but you might be building a model that's based on top of it. And because of that, these big models, they are in their own sort of category of having to be watched because there could be dependencies on it. And so they're they're basically they're 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 not in the high-risk category. However, they can be used for things that are in the high-risk category. And you might think that, well, you know, I'm not building a foundation model. Like, yeah, but there's a pretty, pretty good chance you'll be building something on top of it. So you need to be very careful. What's going to happen to those uh, models? All foundation models are generally falling under the definition of high impact general purpose AI. And you need to make sure that whatever you do doesn't get categorized as high risk. Because as we mentioned, high risk requires, you know, entry into the database, all this sort of stuff. You know, you can't, you know, so it's um, it's an interesting times. Yeah, it absolutely is. So, you know, we've talked about it. We had a podcast series on this as well, but Cognolytica has a trustworthy AI framework, and we encourage you to listen to those podcasts, to check it out, to take the course on that as well. We also have uh, framework workshops as well to walk you and your organization through how to create your own trustworthy AI framework. I will link to that in the show notes, and you can also find that on our website as well. Uh, if you are at all interested in this, I highly, highly encourage you to check it out. This is going to continue to be a hot topic of conversation for many years to come. Uh, so, you know, move forward, get ahead of it, and come up with your trustworthy AI framework now so that you don't, you know, you can be answering all these questions and that you can move forward in a successful way. So we hope that you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. It's been, um, you know, really interesting to stay on top of the EU AI Act. And as uh, more news continues to come out, maybe we'll have another podcast on this. We'll also link to some of the articles at, that we had talked about today and that we used as our sources in the show notes so that you can dig deeper into that. We'll also link to the OECD's definition of AI so that you can you can read that in greater detail and also see how Cognolytica 7 Patterns of AI fits into that as well. And like I had mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, please do subscribe to AI Today to get notified of all of our upcoming episodes. And also make sure to rate us and leave a review on any of your uh, you know podcast platforms that you listen to, including Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or whatever it is that you've listened to. So thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you at the next episode. Like this episode and want to hear more? With hundreds of episodes and over 3 million downloads, check out more AI Today podcasts at AIToday.live. Make sure to subscribe to AI Today if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Amazon, or your favorite podcast platform. Want to dive deeper and get resources to drive your AI efforts further? We've put together a carefully curated collection of resources and tools handcrafted for you, our listeners, to expand your knowledge, dive deeper into the world of AI, and provide you with the essential resources you need. Check it out at aitoday.live slash list. This sound recording and its contents are copyright by Cognolytica. All rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. <laughs>